Welcome back, folks, to a mournful edition of the DC3 cast. We're all bummed out about Carrie Fisher over here, but we'll get through this together through comics and through friendship. So I'm Brian. With me, as always, are Vince and Zach, and we're going to go through the DC Rebirth books for December 21st, 2016. If you haven't read those books, pause the podcast, read them, and come back, or beware, you will be spoiled. So we're going to start with the marquee book of the week, Justice League vs. Suicide Squad number one, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Jason Fabok. Um, you know, this is kicking off uh, the first big crossover of Rebirth. It's launching a weekly comic that will conclude in January. Um, it gives the basic sort of beginnings of the story. But beyond that, Dare I say there's not that much here. Um, what did you guys think of this issue? Yeah, it's pretty thin. Um, there's I, I, there's nothing wrong with it, really, other than um, this first issue is basically like the most straightforward introduction of the Justice League and then the Suicide Squad introducing the reader to them for like the 12th time in the last three years or something it feels like and uh and then ultimately sets up the the real the real bad guy at the end but that's it i mean it's basically just introducing who these two teams are which i think we pretty much already know i got a question for you guys sure what's up zach after so this is um this feels like a pretty new 52 concept, you know. Yes. And also like very much spinning out of the out of the films. Um just in terms of like brand synergy. Do you guys feel like this is a um do you feel like this is the same kind of event we would have had or that we had in the new 52 or do you feel like this feels distinct do you think it feels uh rebirth-esque um other than i i see exactly what you mean other than josh williamson being the writer which wouldn't have happened in the new 52 uh just based on what we kind of anecdotally know about that um and i i would say maybe the very last page this is totally something that you would see in the new 52 and there's nothing about it that, uh, that really sets it apart. I w I would say the, do we, we're talking spoilers here, right? So, yes, yes. um, uh, Maxwell Lord is introduced at the end, reintroduced to the sort of DC rebirth landscape. And I think that that's one thing, you know, if we're talking about, uh, bringing classic characters back and bringing classic DC situations back, having Maxwell Lord be like a puppet that's pulling the strings behind the scenes is very much, you know, something that's from that just before Flashpoint era. Um, but, you know, in the New 52, they were reintroducing characters all the time in new contexts. So it's not necessarily a, a, a Rebirth versus New 52 thing. 
Um, it's just, uh, you, you know, that 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 that's been a rebirth thing too, bringing back these these characters that we thought were lost to Flashpoint. Um, but apart from that, I think you 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 nailed it, Zach. This feels like a new Fifty Two situation, pitting one team against another team, and of ostensibly heroes. You know, I hadn't thought of it in that context, but Zach, you're absolutely right. Um, I think especially with us knowing that the Justice League of America team is, quote, Batman Suicide Squad, that sounds like the most New 52 sentence I've ever spoken. You know, that really sounds like a um, a concept that, I don't want to say is dated because we're talking about something from six months ago, but it's a concept that seems much more tied in to the New 52 than it does into Rebirth. That said, you know, I, I am willing to to give this the benefit of the doubt. You know, one of the things that I spoke to Williamson and Fabach about on the podcast last week, uh, from which you guys gave me the, the bulk of those interview questions, either were from you guys or I took something you had said and kind of reworded it. They did say that the hope and the optimism of Rebirth was a part of the story. It just wasn't going to be necessarily apparent in that first issue. So I'm hoping that subsequent issues feel more rebirthy. Um but I also don't know how rebirthy a book called Justice League versus Suicide Squad can be. Yeah. Um I mean let let's be clear, I don't think that this is a bad comic at all. Um I just think yeah, it's not exact. I mean, it is designed to be a dumb beat 'em up, and that's not really my thing. So, um, I think that more than anything, whether you want to label it a, a New Fifty Two style book or a Rebirth style book, I, I think the the fact the fact is what you said it was, Brian. Uh, the premise of the book entirely is doesn't really lend itself to being much more than that. Yeah. I am. Um, I'm very interested to see, kind of how the tone of the book shifts over the next few issues, especially because, although this was initially billed as a Faybox solo joint, it looks like every issue is going to have a different artist, mm-hmm. and so I wonder how those varying art styles contribute to the look of the book because Faybox is one of the few artistic superstars birthed out of the new 52 yeah and he does really he puts in really good work here oh absolutely you know i think the book looks great i think his style works really well i just think that when you think of his work at least for me you think of batman eternal you think of dark side war you think of these sort of iconic aspects of the new 52 so it's hard to see him it's hard to see his work in a rebirth light, especially because what he's drawing at this particular moment is so reminiscent of that previous era. You're right. He, I mean, he kind of is one of the the definitive, um, you know, one of the definitive artists of the New Fifty Two. I would think, looking back, especially of the sort of the, the new breed of artists. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. I you know the the book is weekly, so we're not going to wait long 
to get the next installment. And I'm I'm interested to see, like I said, how the tone sort of shifts. I think Maxwell, I think bringing back Maxwell Lord is really interesting. I also think that it's interesting that Williamson said that we will find out in the book if this is the same Maxwell Lord that had his neck broken by Diana. Interesting. So I'm guessing that means it is. <laughs> I'm guessing that means it is too. Unless some, I, I, the only thing I think of is if somebody else is aware of that, but they're not, you know. Yeah. Um. So we'll see. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know, uh, we know that this book ties directly into the Justice League of America book that Steve Orlando is writing. I wonder how much more pervasive the effect will be. I can presume it'll affect, you know, Suicide Squad. But aside from that, I wonder how many other Rebirth books this book will be formative in shaping, if any. Yeah. It certainly doesn't feel like it's going to be touching any of the Justice League books, but, I mean, aside from JLA. Mm -hmm. You mean Um, like Batman, Superman, those books, the books featuring the Justice League characters? And Justice League itself, like right, yeah, you know, but I can maybe see it touching Batman. You think so? Well, just because this kind of spins out of Batman a little bit, which we'll talk about. They they did have the lead in from yeah from Tom King's Batman a bit, but that yeah, going so I I could see Not... it maybe dovetailing back in to kind of follow up on that, but you know maybe those threads will be picked up exclusively in JLA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think part of my feelings about this book are just that I've been so enjoying the fact that when Rebirth is doing a crossover, it seems to be very self-contained. Like, for instance, Night of the Monster Men was essentially a weekly crossover, and it was done in four weeks. Uh, the upcoming uh, Superman Returns, is that what it's called? Superman... Reborn. Reborn. Superman Reborn, um, you know, is, is again, a four-week, very contained crossover. And those crossovers have seemed very important to the overall story affecting those characters. And this, thus far, does not feel that way. So I think that, for me, I'm looking for that sort of bigger connection to... Not necessarily to, to the DC Universe as a whole, but just I want to know why this matters to these characters. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, you're going to get that from Maxwell Lord, I think, because the, I guess that was my big problem with this issue. I'm not invested in a fight between the justice league and the suicide squad at all, but I'm potentially invested in all of them versus Maxwell Lord's team. Right. You know, so, so yeah, I'm looking forward to where this goes rather than where we are right now. Right. Um, Maxwell Lord's team that features Lobo, by the way. That's, I, feel yeah. like that's, I feel like that is important to say because we know Lobo is a big part of the uh, the JLA team going forward. Yep, yep, yep. But I kind of wish we didn't know that. Yeah. Well, and then there's uh, Killer Frost too, right? Right, as part of the Suicide Squad team. Yeah. Who was just introduced in the backup of Suicide Squad last week? Yeah. Um, um, unrelated to this, but somewhat, I guess, tangentially related. I was rewatching for the first time since seeing it in the theater 
uh, Captain America Civil War today. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about how mad I am that they didn't keep Spider-Man a secret. Oh, yeah. Because, like, you know, watching that movie again and just thinking, like, oh, if I didn't know this was coming, when, as soon as I see the title card that says Queens, yeah, you're like, oh, my God, are they going to be doing Spider-Man? The same thing with Lobo here. Like, if they didn't tell me that Lobo was going to be on the JLA, then seeing Lobo here, it would have been a surprise. And seeing him eventually turn on Maxwell Lord to be a part of the Justice League would have been a huge surprise. But now we're just sitting around waiting for that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of the bummer of the solicit era we live in. Yep, that's, uh... Well, someday when we're in nuclear winter and we don't have access to the internet, we can go back to a life <laughs> of secrecy and... Uh, December but, 20, uh, uh, January 21st. Yep, yep. January yep. 21st. Um, anyway, let's let's move on. Unless you guys have anything more to say about Justice League versus Suicide Squad. Um, nope, I think that pretty much... Yeah, I think that's it. Covers it, yeah. Okay. That brings us to Aquaman number uh, 13, uh, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Scott Eaton. This is the uh, second part of the Deluge storyline. We see the Justice League confronting Arthur. And, um, guys, this book continues to be so good. Yeah. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, man, the uh, the stakes are just continually so high that it's uh, it's insane. And it's just I I'm loving seeing the Justice League operating as the Justice League, where like they come to talk to Arthur, not to arrest him. They say like, if you can show us evidence, we'll back you up here. This is like the least New Fifty Two. <laughs> um, team interaction that we've seen. It's so great. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I feel like I feel like it's interesting that we have this book um, in parallel with Marvel has Black Panther going on, and both books kind of deal with um, you know what it means to be a leader of a nation, um, a very like fantastical fictional nation. And um, whereas that one is, you know, kind of dealing with like some more nuanced themes, this is very much still like super heroics, but I think that's, I think that's fine. It's still interesting to see them using Arthur to kind of touch on those issues. Um, Yeah, I'm enjoying this a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, Yeah, I just, I love that, that, (laughs) The Justice League stands for like actual justice, you know. Like, right. um, they're not like dumb and meatheaded like they can be written sometimes, you know. In in a bad book, they would come in and just sort of be dumb. And uh, Dan Abnett's very careful about, you know, playing all angles of it. All right, show us evidence. Okay, that's satisfying. But we can't, you know, if we go. Uh, you know, if we go to the the government with this now, then you know it's it's very it's very nuanced for a, for a Cape comic. Absolutely, and it, it's just nice to see. Like one of the things that I think has been so rough about Aquaman comics in the past is that if there was a comic that touched on him being king, 
It wasn't about him being king and superhero. It was like, we're going to tell the part of Arthur's life that's the royalty part. And if he was a superhero, it wasn't about him being the king. To see this book dovetail Arthur as king, Arthur as fiancé to Mira, Arthur as Justice League member, Arthur as conflicted, unpopular leader of a nation. Like, there's just so much going on in the book, and the stakes feel incredibly high, and it doesn't feel forced. Like, you know, where to get the Justice League, the the book, in a little while. I feel like that book sometimes, it feels very state, the, the, the stakes feel very forced. It seems like they're trying to find a way to make the situation more heightened than it needs to be. I don't get that feeling here at all. I get the feeling here that that this is as dire as Arthur's life gets. And they're, you know, the way he's dealing with these various situations, to me, reads as realistic as a Cape comic can be in this way. It's great. Yeah. We're lucky we have Dan Abner writing this book. Damn right. <laughs> All right. Um, that brings us to oh, Batman number 13, written by Tom King, <laughs> illustrated by Michael Janine. Janine, however we're pronouncing it this week. We're butchering <laughs> it this week. We're so bad about pronouncing his name. We, At least just, I am. I'll, I'll take it. And we mention it every damn time. We need to we need to figure this out. We Somebody like, email him. Yeah, I, I actually emailed him before, so I'll I'll do that. <laughs> How do we pronounce your name so we can stop looking like jerks on our podcast? <laughs> um, uh, I guys, I didn't mind this issue so much. This is the best issue of the book so far. It's still garbage, but it's the best issue of the book so far. I wouldn't even say it's garbage. I don't know. I mean. Bat. Don't get don't get me wrong. Bat. I do... Bat. Bat. <laughs> Bat. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, Bat. I just something about uh, it's not good. Okay, it's not good. But something about uh, Punch and Julie blowing the bubble gum up into making the life rafts for them for for their escape was just. Uh, I don't know. It, it struck like just the right note at the end and just the way that um, the ventriloquist, uh, you know, ended up kind of winning the day in the end, taking on uh, what's his name? The feels guy. Psycho pirate. Psycho pirate. Psycho, Psycho pirate. Thank you. The feels guy. <laughs> He's the feels man. <laughs> and, uh, and, and yeah, I don't know. I just, it, it kind of came together for me in a way that I didn't expect. I certainly don't think, I don't even think it's good. You know, I just don't, I appreciated that it finally wasn't just awful overwritten narration, bogging the whole thing down. You know, it was an actual issue of a comic book story. <laughs> and I appreciated that. Oh, the low stakes we have. I know, right? Book. Very Low standards, I get it, but um, and I'm not. I, don't get me wrong, I'm not recommending this to anyone. But man, it was refreshing to just not have to listen to Batman be like, "Selena, I'm suicide. I, I, I want to die, and so do you." Why is he Keanu Reeves? <laughs> He's, I don't know. 
That'd be interesting. Yeah. Um, Zach, what'd you think of this issue? I mean, I, I liked a lot of the parts that Vince mentioned too, but yeah, it's still just not, I don't, I don't really care too much about this Batman. So, so I have a couple of questions. Okay. First of all, the, the parts that Vince mentioned were by far the best parts of the issue and the best parts of the series thus far. A couple of questions though. And, and do not read, um, any sort of, uh, sexualization is what I'm going to say. Why did Bane have to be naked? Was there a plot point for that? No. I it was just so. really distracting to be like, uh, basically, like, how are they going to obscure Bane's dong right now? <laughs> because Batman's oh. flipping him over with his legs open. It just seemed like a really weird choice to make. See, I think uh, uh, Janine was, um, you know, Bane was Tom Hardy in the Christopher Nolan film. Uh, I think he was probably sort of using the movie Bronson as a reference <laughs> starring Tom Hardy, and, and Tom Hardy is naked for a good portion of that movie. So that's, well my, played. Well played. that's my guess. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't dislike any of the things that you guys brought up. I don't. I still feel that Everything was really ham-fisted about it. I think that the Catwoman sort of betrayal was so telegraphed that it shouldn't come to a shock as you know come to anyone's surprise that she wasn't actually throwing her lot in with Bane. I thought that the kiss at the end was so predictably schmaltzy and unnecessary. <laughs> you know, I, I just think that while it might have nailed some of the execution here, the the story is still problematic for all the reasons that it's been problematic. Um, and I'm just uh, I'm not digging this version of Batman at all. I thought no. that King did a better job with the supporting cast this week than he has in the past, but I'm I'm not digging this at all. So yeah, same. Sorry, fans of the book, wherever you are, read better comics. Um, that brings us to uh, Cave Carson as a cybernetic eye, number three, written by Gerard Way and John Rivera, illustrated by Michael Avon Oming. Vince has not read this issue yet because I done goofed about uh, getting it to him, so my apologies about that. But Zach, you read this issue. What did you think of it? Oh, this is still a lot of fun. This is the um, this is my this and, is my favorite young animal book. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. I think that's still it, there's still Doom Patrol and Shade ahead of it for me. Um, but it's I mean, like I said, it's still just a ton of fun. And is that supposed to be the Challengers of the Unknown kind of going after him? I think it might, or be. like a new version. I it just it seemed very reminiscent. It did, yeah. And, and Ace is definitely, I think, like the name of a Challengers character, right? That sounds right to me. It's been a while since I've read any Challengers, but it certainly sounds right to me. Uh, it seems like, you know, like the perfect place for them to show up. If oh, it is. yeah, yeah. Did you catch the subtle minor Green Lantern appearance? 
No, I don't think so. There's a, a really cool double page spread where they're in the um, whatever they call the cave mobile, you know, that his car, mm-hmm. and they're like burrowing through the earth. And as they're doing that, buried in the earth, you see Chip, the Green Lantern. Huh. Oh my goodness, I don't, I totally missed that. <laughs> yeah, the Squirrel Green Lantern, he's there. That's um, hilarious. There was also a really great Batman 66 homage in this. Uh, when they're powering up the car, they say, um, it's the exact line from Batman 66. Hang on, i got to pull it up here. Yeah, batteries uh, batteries power, power, turbines, turbines to speed. speed. Yeah. Uh, so that was great, too. Yeah. To me, this is the... Do you want to know something funny about that? What's that? Um for the longest time my point of reference for that line was from the little rascals movie in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> oh wow because that was the first place i heard it <laughs> um that's pretty funny uh but yeah the, to me this is exactly what i've been looking for in a comic it has so much of the fun miscellany that is the dc universe you know wild dog continues to be great in this book and there's you know stories about you know forgotten civilizations and it's funny and it it doesn't take itself too seriously and it's winking a little bit at the reader but not too much it's just it's i i'm loving this book so much so um this is probably a conversation for another day, but Young Animal has lived up to every expectation or exceeded it, has it not? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And uh, I'm very excited about the Wildstorm as well, but that's, again, a conversation for another day. Um, let's move on, because uh, why not, to Cyborg number 7, uh, written by John Semper Jr., Illustrated by Paul Pelletier. I'm presuming this book got heavily Wilkersoned. Oh, uh, yeah. Let me, um, I'll just step away and go make myself a drink or something. Oh, man. Just kidding, but have at it. <laughs> uh, Vince, what'd you think of this? I think, um, is this, is this the most predictable comic that's ever been written? It, if not, it's right up there. <laughs> So the so the female cyborg who turned on uh, Vic last issue is uh, like sorry about it now. <laughs> kind uh, of. Kind of. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm trying to remove it. Is is what she's doing. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and um. And yeah, it's just. It's just everything about this is just so cliche, and the uh, the the thing that I liked the the the, the kind of like um, logic fail moment of the issue is <laughs> when Vic walks in on the on the the bad guys like master plan or whatever. Exactly. What, did, what were you going to say? You said walked in on the bad guy's master, and both of us <laughs> got a little... Uh... Yeah, he walked in on the bad guy just cranking his his, uh, his pod. <laughs> <laughs> Rebooting no. his system. Yeah, there you go. 
He's, uh, oh man. <laughs> I wish I knew more funny computer terms. Yeah. Um, defragging his RAM. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he, he walks, so he walks in on this guy and he goes, Dad, what are you doing? And instead of just like the, the bad guy could have continued to go on with his ruse. And instead, he's just like, uh, yeah, I'm the bad guy, and this is what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, like, this is what I'm doing, and I'm going to explain it to you so that you can stop me in the next issue or whatever. Um, when, like, Vic immediately was fooled by this guy still. So, I, I don't know. Uh, it's It's just so cliche, man. Yeah. Yeah. It also does that thing that I hate when stories do, which is that, like, last issue, it went to great lengths to show us that Vic really had feelings for the person currently called um, Variant, right? Mm -hmm. And then this issue just undoes all of that and says, like, no, while you were playing me, I was playing you. (laughs) I made sure that I distracted you by pretending that I liked you. So then we're basically led to believe that Vic just, like, fucked her to (laughs) fool her? Like, it's a really weird implication. Yeah. And uh, it's just bad. This is a bad comic. Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's, Let's move, put that unpleasantness behind us and move on to Green Arrow, number 13. Uh, written by Ben Percy, illustrated by Otto Schmidt. Again... The book looks just fantastic. Um, this was another issue of Green Arrow for me. <laughs> you know, it's it's good. It's not my favorite book I read each week. It's it's certainly not perfect, but it's it's a much better Green Arrow comic than we've been getting at various other points in DC. And uh, I like where some of it's going, even if a little bit is a, is uh, ham fisted. And yeah, that's my piece. What do you guys think? Uh, well, I, I'm definitely in favor of the Seahawks quarterback being murdered um, <laughs> in it. Oh, so, football. That was good. That was good to me. Hey, I, I watched like uh, two quarters of football this weekend, Vince. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Well, did you watch my team? I did not. All right. I did not. I'm sorry. Oh. I uh, I watched a bit of the Steelers game and a bit of the Seahawks game. Uh just based around when what family was watching at various times. Don't take it personally. I was in South Dakota, and some sporting event is on TV at all times. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is, who it is, it's on TV. Tractor pull all day, tractor pull all night. <laughs> so anyway, Green Arrow. Yeah, um, it's a good comic. Zach, what do you think? Uh, I mean, Otto Schmidt's still the best. Yeah. I... That's about all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his his art really is worth reading the book for all on its own. Um, just something as simple as, like, look at that last page where uh, the crowd is, like, all gathered around Oliver and, the you know, 
the announcer says the killer is Green Arrow or whatever, and they're all kind of staring him down. Mm-hmm. Just the way that that's the way that that's done and the expression on everyone's face, how it's framed, is just so cool. And I love like Oliver's face with the with the like the the whites of his eyes, you know. Yep. When he wears the domino mask, it, it's just such a. I don't know. It's so it's so comic booky, and yet yet you know there's some sort of uh, I don't know realism to it, or or I, I just I just really like his style. Yeah, it's it's been very effective so far. Um, like I said, I, I I don't think this is a great comic. I think it's very enjoyable, and I think it's doing way more with the character than we've seen in the past. So I, I'm happy for it. But I would like to see, um, I don't even know what I want to see more of. I just, I guess, I guess the book can come off a little cheesy in points. Yeah. But that's all right. I'm enjoying it enough. So, um, that brings us to Green Lanterns number 13, written by Sam Humphreys, illustrated by Ronan Cliquet. I believe I'm pronouncing that right, but I could be wrong. And, uh... We get more Frank Leminski, guys. Now, we know you're a real Leminski knot. I'm a Leminski <laughs> head, that's true. Um, Actually, this is probably the probably the right time to announce that uh, we're spinning out of the DC3 and we're going to have the Leminski cast. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> we're, the, we're the Leminski 3. The um, Leminsk 3. The Leminsk 3? Yeah. And uh, yeah, and it's going to be a weekly podcast all about Frank Linsky, what he's got going on in his life. Um, a look back, a look forward. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be great. And the DC three cast is is going to be we're we're wrapping it up. It's going to be done. Over. Yeah, we figured this was the natural progression. <laughs> I mean, when you get a character introduced like Frank Leminski with such legs and such drawing power. You know His the world. Are great. Yeah. They're, they're gorgeous. <laughs> you know really, the world. We... You know the world's gonna be talking about him for a while. So this is this is a safe bet to hitch our wagon to. We gotta do what's best for the site. Yeah. Um, this is where the money is. So... We've been getting so many offers. Just guys, we need more Leminski hot takes. We need that Leminski content. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... And so, yeah, the Leminski, Lemins 3. And in conclusion, Green Lanterns number 13 is a comic of contrasts. (laughs) (sighs) This this book is, um, I I keep oscillating on it. I keep, and, and, and this week, I don't think it's very good. Um... I think I think if I remember correctly, last week I thought it was a little bit better, and now this week again, it's like I don't I don't really know what they're trying to do here. I don't really understand what. Um, I don't think this concept of the Phantom Lantern is adding anything to the mythos, really, and that's my problem with it. I think I would agree with that if there wasn't such a. Um... 
I, I mean, I guess I'll just come out and say it. Such a perfect character like Frank Lipinski. <laughs> Sorry, I can't, can't even get that out without laughing. No, this is, there's, there's nothing added to this. The battery is his body? Who gives a shit? Oh, man. Get to the point, Sam fucking Humphreys. <laughs> Guys, don't you see? They're fighting their own fears. Well, maybe when Leminski spins out into his own title, we'll yeah, uh, yeah. things will things will be on the uptick. And we can only hope, right? Yeah. Twenty sixteen's been rough. If the Leminski solo out it disappoints, then twenty seventeen's gonna be just as bad. I just saw that Dan Jurgens is writing it, so Oh man. Well, it was nice knowing you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see Ryan, you see you Ryan. in hell. He's going to end it all. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I feel like we just lost a bunch of listeners right there. <laughs> you don't think we have enough Leminski heads to make this work? But to get them all back, let's talk about Harley Quinn number 10. Yeah. Uh, it's it's that time, folks. It's the time for Vince tells Brian and Zach what happens in Harley Quinn this week. So this was it's a... what happens. Well, as remember we left off with... Um, the Joker was back and he was good again. Oh, <laughs> and now we took a diversion this time around. It's not a continuation of that story yet. Uh, this was a holiday issue in which, uh, Harley Quinn ends up on a beach with Santa Claus drinking drinks out of coconuts. And, um, she fights like, these weird apparitions that are beachgoers in two-piece bikinis, but they all have the Joker for a head. So uh. that was really confusing to me um, sexually. <laughs> um, it's really twisted is what I'm saying. Um, and yeah, this is a weird comic. Uh, at, at one point, Harley Quinn dual fists lightsabers okay and um and fights like holiday versions of batman characters like batman and catwoman it's really weird um i don't think it makes any sense i don't think this book makes any sense uh it's basically just an excuse for them to draw harley quinn in 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 like skimpy outfits and stuff more more attacks on this issue, so there's some cheesecake, some good some good cheesecake. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it, this wasn't a, this isn't very good. That shocks me. <laughs> it's shocks just me. it's just too bizarre in a really bad way. Like things just happen for no reason. And there's no logic to anything, but it's also not entertaining enough to, I don't know. There's a lot of really bad puns. <laughs> I, I don't know why I keep doing it to myself. Because somebody has to. I guess. Taking one for the team. You're yeah. the hero this podcast deserves. I guess. I don't think we got any of those listeners back. No. So let's move on to Justice League number 11, 
real illustrated by uh, Neil Edwards, written by Brian Hitch. This is a comic. Yeah, it's uh, there. There's iPads and and hacking and <laughs> and and some some bad guy stuff. And a conclusion that seems to come out of nowhere. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This so... is not. This is this is not great. <laughs> but it's not bad. No, it's it's okay. It's what it's total middle of the line. You know what it is. It's it reminds me of. And actually, and actually, I'm sure this is exactly what they're going for. It reminds me of what if you mixed um, All Star Squadron era DC Comics, like the way that the Justice League was back then, with the sensibilities of the like Marvel Ultimate Universe Brian Hitch style that became really popular in the 2000s. You know. It's DC's iconic heroes um, solving world crises, crises in a in a very comic booky fashion, but then it's also done in the style of those turn of the millennium comics, right? Does that make sense? It doesn't not make sense. Okay. <laughs> Fuck you. No, 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 no. Any I, more than a than a a search engine AI that <laughs> can give you whatever you want. My favorite thing about the comic, now that you bring that up, my favorite thing about the comics this week, including Cyborg and this, is that technology can do anything, and you just have to say it was technology, or you know somebody hacked it, somebody hacked something. Oh, they hacked uh, programmable cells, and uh, you know that's why the back. I mean, I do. I feel like that's kind of DC's thing. Yeah. <laughs> you watch, you watch an episode of Arrow, and that's like fifty percent of the plot. <laughs> that well, is. Hacked it and that is very true. I counterhacked it, and <laughs> I will unhacked it. I will say this: if you ever wonder if DC takes place in our world or a fictional world. The fact that a hacker would use an iPad tells you this is a fictional world. Um, you know, yeah. th- this comic to me just feels like every mini arc we've had so far has just been like, hey, let's think of the thing that would be impossible to defeat, and then let's come up with a shitty way for them to defeat it. <laughs> uh, and, that's what I. That's what I mean by it being like very comic booky. Yeah, but it's not even fun in that way. No. Like, like, you know, some of the fun of the Golden and Silver Age comics were these, you know, the characters are painted into a corner, how are they going to get out of it? And there'd be some actually creative way to get them out of it. Whereas this doesn't have any of that creativity. No, it's it's exactly what I said it is. It's, it's, it's that setup, but with a... With, with the hitch... A Marvel Ultimate payoff, which is those were always those comics were interesting for the way that they like updated Marvel characters in really bizarre ways, like making Thor a hippie that thought he was a god, but you you weren't sure for a while whether he was just crazy or not. Hmm. Um, But then the the payoff was always substandard because it's not interesting to just watch. 
like cities get leveled and then the heroes like like Deus Ex Machina their way out of every situation. And that's all those comics ever were. So Yeah. That's a fair criticism. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. All right, well, that brings us to Nightwing number 11, written by your friend and mine, Tim Seeley, illustrated by Marcus Toe. Um, really enjoyed this again this week, guys. And this is uh, this is really good. This is so refreshing. This is like... I, I, don't, I, read, I read a comic book like this, and, and Seeley makes it look so easy. I don't understand why every... <laughs> comic isn't like this you know like you know what i mean like he he just he pulls so much in from batman or or dick's history and either recontextualizes it or reinvents it or makes new characters new situations building off of old situations building back into batman's history a little bit and um, d- d- see these comics in, in at least at DC have felt so rich in that way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of what Scott Snyder does when when he takes like a piece of Gotham that's maybe been established or mentioned before and kind of builds off of it and and figures out why it's integral to Gotham. Except that Seely does it like Snyder builds whole arcs around it. Seely just tosses that stuff in I mean he almost spoils us with it you know he uses the giant shared universe to its best possible use yeah yeah for sure it's funny this book although squarely taking place in the new 52 timeline of of Batman partners I feel like this is the first time we've seen a breath of the breath of the team up between Batman and Robin. Like we see this little tiny story in the beginning of the book of Bruce and Dick taking down, you know, the, um, what's her name in the, in the book? Um, the pigeon. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we, uh, like just through that little interaction, you sort of get the idea of how their whole partnership worked and you get, just a flavor for what they were like as partners. We've seen that so rarely in the New 52. And it just feels so natural. And like Vince said, they're so rich. You know, man, Seeley's doing good work at DC. And Marcus Toe's art is just just what I want. He's a perfect fit for this book. And as much as I liked um, Fernandez, mm-hmm. um, Man, I really would like for Toe to stay on this book. I think we're going to see him pop up here and there with these rotating artists. And that's a good thing. Um, yeah, I'm ex- I love the idea of a reformed supervillain support group. <laughs> I think that's a very fun concept. I think it could have felt really tacky in someone else's hands. But again, Silly just makes it work. Um. Yeah, this is this is a lot of fun. Anything else to add? Um, uh, no, I don't think so. 
That brings us to Superman number 13, written by Pete Tomasi and Pat Gleason, illustrated by Doug Monkey. Um, this is kind of a, a story about Lady Frankenstein and Frankenstein, uh, both going after the same fugitive, one to bring into shade, one for a bounty. This was uh, this was a lot of fun as well. I, I love me some Frankenstein. So this was oh, a really, yeah, me too. This is a very fun issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I still think that this is. Uh, yeah, I like. I didn't love the first issue of this arc. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think this one um, kind of pays off on it at least. Um, the I liked what it kind of said about. I mean, this whole this whole run has been about you know the family and everything, and and the Frankenstein. I guess it was almost a bit cliched in that, like, of course the the relationship between monsters is kind of the the dark side of that coin. Um, but it just you know it it just kind of went to underscore everything that I really like about what they're doing with Superman. Yeah, for sure. Um... You know, I mentioned last week that I I wouldn't say I was lukewarm on it, but, uh, you know, compared to what Tomasi and Gleason had been doing on past issues, this wasn't as much of my bag. Um, but like you said, Zach, I think you put it really nicely when you said it paid off. Um, I think the, the little peak we got into where... Uh, Frankenstein and his former bride, I guess, um, are right now was interesting and kind of kind of like bittersweet in a way that is really unexpected from a Superman comic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I really dug this issue. Yeah, I, I think that the Superman book has just been so valuable in its recontextualizing not just Superman, but so many of the characters that sort of floated through the New 52, but maybe weren't featured all that prominently. You know, I think Frankenstein here is handled note perfectly. If you are a fan of that character, there's a lot to love here. If you've never read that character before because you didn't go after the weirder New 52 books, I think almost everything you need to know about Frankenstein is contained in these two issues. You know, obviously not to the degree in which a, you know, a super fan of the character would like. But I think in terms of broad strokes, you get who Frankenstein is at this point. And they're so good at doing that. They're so good at giving these characters just a little refresher and wanting, leaving us, you know, wanting more. Yeah. Tomasi and Gleason can write this book as long as they want to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh it's one of one of DC's finest titles and I think uh on Multiversity Comics we it it ranked pretty highly. What did it I rank? Think it on? was second. It was yeah. number 2 on our best ongoing of 2016, yeah. After after Southern Bastards, I think. Yes. Second year in a row Southern Bastards took the top spot even though only 3 issues came out this year. <laughs> that shows you how um how beloved that book is among our staff, even though Vince refuses to read it. Well, I'll I'll get there someday. <laughs> just, I'm just teasing. 
Um, but yeah, this was very good. Uh, last issue of the week, we have Trinity number four, written by Francis Manipal, illustrated by Emmanuel Lupicino. Um, this is just more of the same. Yeah. This book started off so promising and really has failed to capitalize on that. Yeah. Can I, can I tell you guys why I had, I, I mean, I, fe- I definitely feel that way. But can I tell you guys why I had a little bit more fun with this issue? Lupacino's art. Yeah, well, that's that's a that's a major thing because I think she's great. Holy shit, this um, this book it was looks... a nice surprise. I didn't know she was on this issue. No, no, I had no idea she was on the issue, so that wasn't a nice surprise. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I mean, she must she either must work fast or this was just in the tank like way early. But um, but no, I just think. The, the one thing that was fun about this for me is that so we've we've seen Superman's origin we've seen Batman's origin so many times we've only very recently seen Wonder Woman's origin a ton of times being retold but the difference is is that somehow having Batman and Superman along for the ride this time around made it a little more fun for me <laughs> just a little you know like i i still don't think this is great but i i found a little bit of novelty in having bruce and clark ar- along for the ride so um i i don't know i i enjoyed it on that level but this is still not the comic book that i wanted when you know from the outset yeah um I don't know if the point of this comic was just to, and it was, you know, initially this was pitched as like Manipal's writing and drawing this, right? Mm-hmm. Was this just an idea of hey, for the first arc, let's just let him redraw these iconic scenes, right? Because you know his art is so refreshing and so wonderful. It'll be great to get his take on these iconic scenes. Well, then he real everyone realized that he hasn't delivered a book on time ever, and so you get Clay Man who did a nice job and Lupicino who did a nice job filling in here, but it's not the same as Manipal filling doing those pages. Right. You know, it still doesn't make for a great comic when Manipal is doing it, as issue number two showed us, but it just feels different somehow, and I wonder if that's. Um, you know, if DC is sort of realizing that their plan for this book was flawed by not having Magnapol being able to uh, to deliver his his pages on time. Yeah, I, who knows, man. I'm excited for the book to be about something other than this. Yeah, and it looks yeah, like I really st- am interested to see where the next arc goes because this kind of feels like. You know, baby's first DC book. <laughs> yeah. In a way, you know, it's kind of just like the most basic primer on its big three biggest characters. Um, the the kind of like subplot that we get, you know, two pages of every issue with with Lois and John and Poison Ivy. That's kind of interesting, a little bit. Um, it, yeah, it's interesting, but it's weird. Whenever it happens, it's weird. I think it's like it's like just jarring almost. Yeah. yeah. Like, can't we get that book? Yeah. 
I'll say this, and this is not necessarily a defense of this book, but more just a commentary on Rebirth in general. I can't believe how much Lois and Jonathan were getting across the board. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've got, what, so Superman, Trinity, Action. Superwoman, or Lois anyway, right? Yeah. Not Jonathan. We had them show up in the New Talent Showcase. We had them show up in Justice League. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So you know, they're really they're all over the place, and that's that's a good thing. Mm-hmm, for that, sure, it's a good thing for the books to be reminding us how central Superman's family should be to the yeah. DCU. Yeah, and John's about to get his own book. Yeah, so you know, I'm sure that'll be. Oh, that's gonna be good. Yes, it is. It's gonna be very good. Well, folks, that does it for this, our final installment of 2016. Thank you for listening. Uh, we podcasted almost every week this year, guys. Woo! It's crazy. It is. It once is. We, once we get that Leminski cast going. Yeah. We'll have to go twice weekly. Yeah, Ooh, there, there, yeah there's, just, there's too much Leminski chat to keep it to one hour a week. <laughs> you know? <laughs> We're talking minimum three, four hours a week. <laughs> Gosh. God, we're stupid. <laughs> hey, we're stupid for not doing this earlier. I know we should have capitalized <laughs> the first week Leminski came into our lives. We should have had him on. We should have had this podcast ready to go. <sighs> All right. Outrageous. Oh, well, if, if you want to send us some fan art for the Leminski cast... The Lemons 3. We'd love to have it. You can send it to us on Twitter. I'm at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at BJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. And I'm at Sir Fox 89 And seriously, if there is, if, if a piece of Leminski cast, a Lemons 3, pops up on Twitter, I will be the happiest boy in the land. So, someone is going to redraw the Lemon Party picture only with... <laughs> With Leminski in the middle and the three of us like working on him. Oh, what color is his dong? Which ring is he summoning? Well, if it's lemon party, I guess it's the yellow. He's gonna be saying, "Not very afraid." Knock, knock. <laughs> Good night, asshole. <laughs>